Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey folks, and welcome to the MMA Vivisection, UFC whatever, whatever off week edition. Normally, uh, Zane Simon is here running through a long series of numbers, half of which I'm convinced he makes up off the top of his head. I'm not going to do that. All I'm going to tell you is that these are the prelims for UFC fight night, Costa versus Vittori. And joining me, I'm very happy to say, is Dan Tom of the Protect Your Neck podcast and more. Dan, thank you uh, for joining me for these prelims. What do you uh, what do you make of them? Well, um, again, to play the role of our dearly departed uh, Zane Simon, who I, I feel bad. You know, we, we took some shots on on social media. I didn't know that, that he was actually dead, but yeah, uh, I, I do want to, you know, uh, you know, in his spirit, say that it, you know that this was pleasantly surprising. Now, I will say that with a caveat of the. Brutal low standards, you know. It's kind of like that old saying: if you're in a you're in a room of fours, you're, if you're in a room if you're in a room of uh, if you're in a room of, of uh, sixes, the fours look like eights, and uh, maybe that's the case here with the prelims. But I'll take it, baby. <laughs> yeah, I I could not have said it better uh, myself. It's uh, you know. It's not just this card is a room of uh, is a room of sixes. It's like in the context of the last what feels like. Oh, what's it been? Nine years? <laughs> it feels interminable. Just this yes. stretch of meaningless off-week cards. Um, this is, I mean, last week was a two that was very fortunate to look like a four when the lights were dim. Uh, this really feels like a nine in comparison to that card, uh, which yeah, is not to say, say it's, yeah, go on. Last week, and I, I keep saying this, but we're, we're we're close to the end of 2021 quietly here, Connor. I don't know how much they can keep surprising me, but at, at the risk of being proven wrong for like the 10th time, let me say, I, I think last week's card was as low as we can go, even in this uh -huh. era. Yeah. Oh, hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, usually the kind of surprise you get is it's not even a surprise. It's like, oh, I don't care about these fights. Therefore, I'm not interested. And then they, if you have nothing else to do on a Saturday night, they turn out to be more fun than you expected because MMA is a fun sport. Um, and also, you know, often when the fighters are both sort of equally inexperienced, you get crazy, messy fights. That was the wrong kind of surprise. It was even worse, I think, than I expected. <laughs> it was a card so bad that had I not been doing this show with, rest in peace, St. Simon last week, I would not have talked about it at all. Uh, I completely skipped it on heavy hands. So, hey, this isn't that is, is the point of all this. Um, there are a few interesting fights sprinkled throughout here. I think across the board, the matchmaking is relatively solid, uh, which is not to say that any of these fights have any degree of relevance to their respective divisions, but most of them are good fights uh, that, that yield interest when, like Dan and I, you are paid to <laughs> get invested in them. So let's uh, let's not delay any further. Let's go ahead and jump in on our featured prelim here. And I think this just might be the uh, the professional sicko in me. This kind of feels like an appropriate fight to have in this slot. I uh, I don't know how many other people care about these fighters, but I like this matchup. I, I I'm a fan of both of these guys. I enjoy. I think they have uh, exciting 
styles with um, a good well of technique on either side. Um, I'm pretty much looking forward to it. So, Dan, tell me what you think of this middleweight bout between Jun Yong Park and Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. I agree. In, in, a, in an era of matchmaking that doesn't make a lot of sense, like, you know, I know not everybody, you know, can be the Connor Rebush of the world and love middleweight as much as you, Connor, but it, it makes a lot of sense for this division. And let's also be honest, it's probably the best nickname fight. I mean, we've got. The Iron Turtle, which sounds like something David Carradine would request on his trips to Thailand. Yeah, and, <laughs> and um, <laughs> then, you, then you have Ro- then you have RoboCop, which I think is Hobocop, and that's not me making fun of Portuguese <laughs> accent. I, I literally think he's a member of Bolsonaro's personal guard, and he's his job when he's not fighting is he sweeps the streets of Sao Paulo to clean them up from the filthy homeless people that that you know that that, that may be accrued in the streets. So Hobocop is actually his real real wow. nickname, folks. I never put that together. Um, yeah. I asked this before. Maybe you know about this, Dan. Is the Iron Turtle uh, at all? Because Jun Young Park is a Korean fighter. Sure. Is it at all a reference to uh, the like turtle ships of Korean history? That's like an iconic piece of medieval Korea yeah. where these uh, these these ships with uh, like a metal shingled roof covering the vessels like an art. It was like an early iron. Um, what do they call those? Not iron sides. Come on, Dan, where's your I'm, where's I'm your bad, naval man. I go back to like the Sino the, the Sino Russian War and that surprise one or the the uh, not the Sino Russian split I'm thinking of the fucking some communist history I was just reading up on no but uh, no the, uh, the, the 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 Russian uh, Japanese naval battles is uh, is about as far as deep back as my my history goes as far as uh, Asian fleets with surprising power and, ironclad. Uh, Ironclad. There we go. There it's we like go. a medieval Korean ironclad. I often wonder Koreans are very proud of of those. Uh, those ships, they're really symbolically important. So I, I wonder if it's a cool reference to that part of history. Anyway, I two great nicknames. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? It's really uh, better than my version, right? I, I don't know. I don't know what either <laughs> of us are saying. Let's talk about the fight. Sure. Yeah, the fight basically uh, – basically, uh, this fight makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I I think Jung Young Park has got one of those, you know, um, and it sounds kind of a lazy, a lazy stereotype, but I mean, it is a compliment and hopefully it's in the spirit that it's met. But a lot of these Korean fighters have a very well-rounded, uh, well-rounded game. Um, the, the wrestling is serviceable. Uh, I would say their top games are above average in the way they transition to and from them, which is would make sense just to connect the wrestling to that. Yeah, um, wrestling was kind of his saving grace in that fight with Tafan and Chukwi. Yep. Um, he outboxed him when, when he couldn't outbox him. He hit him with reactive shots. It was a really good wrinkle. Again, not just a Korean naval history, but obviously Korean boxing history. Uh, Connor mm-hmm. can own me on too, but I'm sure Connor will tell you, you know, not too terrible surprise to see Korean fighters with some some good boxing fundamentals. Uh, the jab mm-hmm. is going to be the, I think, one of the biggest keys um, that I see being in this fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether whether you're picking him or picking against him, I think that's just a key dynamic here is the jab. Um, it's something that obviously is your connector piece, yada, 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 uh, but he really does use it as so he really is active with it. That is park. And what I find really interesting in that is that, um, Hobocop Rodriguez is a uh, Robocop. Sorry. Rodriguez is, um, 
he a lot of his game is actually you know whether I was just kind of watching his 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 pad work and his sparring session footage that he put up from Sanford MMA on his Instagram to his actual stuff in fight, which is what counts, of course. Um, it's a lot of rear-handed parries, a lot of slipping and countering, a lot of basic. Uh, his offense and counters are basically a, a, a lot of them are triggered off of and programmed to be off of that jab, yeah. which on paper I think is really good for him here. Um, it's just. The question of Rodriguez does kind of seem like he has a bit of that kind of glass cannonness to him, which is why I, I picked Todorovic uh, unconfidently to beat him, which that fight, I think, no matter who you picked, kind of, you know, went to everybody's surprise and went the distance. But we got to see more of Rodriguez on this level. Uh, it's still kind of a worry in the back of my mind. Um, sure. I am I am curious to see how wrestling goes. Obviously, you mentioned the wrestling of John Park. I'm curious to what your take is. Uh, I think that maybe he's shown more capable and more dependable, serviceable MMA wrestling. But Rodriguez is a black belt under the same professor that gave um, Jacare Souza his black belt and is actually pretty accomplished. Uh, yeah. He, he, yeah. He, and, and don't forget, actually, um, at a couple of key moments in that fight with Dushko Todorovic, he hit him with some powerful double leg takedowns uh yeah the like drive-thru, the drive-thru on his open shot yeah that was two moments in that fight where just yeah from from boxing distance he just blasted Todorovic off his feet it's almost the kind of clean double you really don't see that often anymore um that used to be uh oh we've got some breaking news from our producer i'm holding my breath dan click on that link yep uh, it basically from Damon Martin, oh. uh, Pablo Costa says he weighs 211 pounds right now. <laughs> He's not sure if his fight with Marvin Vittori will be a catch weight or maybe 205. Still figuring that out. Oh my God. One bottle of wine too many yet again. Guy thinks he's wow. a Diaz brother now. What's going on? Making making new fight weights on Fight League. Boy, uh, if you haven't listened to the main card, Vivi, yet, that uh, that might color our picks a little bit. Certainly, uh, mine. No spoilers, but. Uh, um, if you were concerned about Paulo Costa's, you know, mindset following the loss to Adesanya, the man may have spent a lot of this year uh, stress eating. Uh, <laughs> and working on that hair, the hair plugs, too. That, there was a, that seemed like an <laughs> extensive side project, by the way. Yeah. Well, they're heavy, those hair plugs, you know. Yes. <laughs> they're really, really weighty. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Um, Goodness me. Well, back to this fight, um, which I believe will probably take place at or near 185. Um, yeah, Gregor Rodriguez showed really powerful wrestling uh, as well. Um, not necessarily great top control, as Jun Young Park actually did against uh, Tefan Chukwi. But uh, still, he did show some really good uh, ability to hit opportunistic shots that were remarkably powerful and clean on a pretty well-rounded yes. prospect in Dushko Todorovic. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, you re refresh me the offense. There's another Brazilian guy who's like reminds me of Gregory Rodriguez who just came off Contender Series as well. And mm -hmm. he, he said he wants to be the new Khabib, and I was getting him confused. But you're right. They both have actually good offensive wrestling. Curious on what defensively um, will yeah. look like or if, if, if Jong Young Park will look to take it there because again the small cage could um, encourage that more grinding style that we've seen him secure even his earlier wins and earlier TKOs a lot of uh, uh, a lot of more accumulation not that he doesn't have power on the feet um, I just haven't seen it consistently demonstrated enough yeah I don't and think he really like, tries to hit with power that often he no. really 
he, he, he throws them out there nice and relaxed and just keeps the combos flowing. Yeah, again, he's always pumping that jab out um, mm -hmm. in and out. So that essentially seems like more of an activity guy. So I, I, I'm not as worried about maybe the, the glass cannon thing creeping up as I would be, which is still in the back, which is definitely still in the back of my mind. But yeah. I don't know if um, Jung Young Park is, is, is the fighter to test it. I'd be happy to be proven wrong by Park again. Um, not that I count him out or anything or think he's a bad fighter at all. I just, for, for what one reason or another, seem to pick against him all the time. I don't like it, but I think I'm going to do it again here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for those who don't know what you're referring to, Gregor Rodriguez, uh, has a flash KO loss on this record to, uh, Jordan Williams on the yes. contender series and, um, was in his Again, this this doesn't hold nearly even as much weight as that, but did also get knocked out in his pro debut back in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a fight he was doing really well in. Jordan Williams, nobody's idea of a technician, really has nothing but the power on the feet and just handed, managed to clip uh, the superior boxer in Rodriguez and put him down. Otherwise, I, I think this is um, – I kind of feel like the wrestling might just cancel it. They might just cancel each other out. Um, we'll probably yep. see shots from both guys whenever each of them is on the back foot uh, as a way of you know uh, having not having to just run away the entire time and, and, and concede all initiative to the opponent. That's the MMA version of the boxer's punch and clutch. You fire a shot to close the distance. You grab onto your opponent in MMA that often takes the form mm -hmm. of a shot. Um, but both these guys capable scramblers. Um, I, I think we're looking at largely a boxing match here. And that is just to echo everything you said, Dan. I mean, it's very exciting to me. Jin Young Park really like sort of classic boxer puncher kind of game. He's certainly willing to stand in the pocket uh, and sling combos. He will trade shots with people. He does it with um, enough defensive acumen. In fact, that he doesn't, it's not always an even trade. Um, he, he's good at coming under shots and coming back up with combinations, always working his jab. And I love that he uses the jab to create angles and maintain distance. It's not like a, it's not a strike that exists in a vacuum, not, uh, nor does it mm -hmm. only exist to set up combinations. He will use it to keep you turning, to interrupt your aggression. Um, and he, he's, he's been pretty effective, even against like a really scary pressure fighter like Tafan and Chukwi at fighting uh, effectively off the back foot. Um, Gregory Rodriguez, on the other hand, uh, I, I really like his boxing game. It's more power forward. Um, that's the cannon part of that, the, that glass cannon label. He, he throws heavy shots, rarely throws a combination more than three punches long. In fact, it's usually two shots in a row and that's it, but he does it well. Uh, the combinations are smartly put together. It's left hook off the right hand. Sometimes it's a body shot with either hand and then coming upstairs. He also has a solid jab. And like you said, a real knack for counterpunching off the opponent's jab that was super mm -hmm. effective against Dushko Todorovic, um, who like that fight ended up being pretty close. But I think he really had Todorovic's number on the feet for most of it. Mm -hmm. um, certainly landed all of the best shots of the fight. And uh, that's going to be a fascinating battle. Jin Young Park has to use that jab. It's an essential part of his game. He's not nearly as counterable off of it as someone like Todorovic. 
But Rodriguez having those counters in place, I mean, if there's one kind of shot you want to be skilled at countering, it's the jab. You want to stop the opponent from building off of that essential first layer strike. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how that plays out. I don't have a super strong feeling one way or the other um, as to who wins this. All I will say is I think I trust Jun Young Park's stamina more. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I mean, having said that, something Rodriguez has done that has really impressed me is that he's able to sort of make a stylistic change up to recover when he needs to. Uh, he'll throw lots of heat, but he can go on the back foot and dip under shots and use his footwork to kind of refill his energy bar enough, uh, and also to walk the opponent into his counters rather than doing what he normally does, which is like more of a pressuring aggressive counter punching game. Um, there's some flexibility there to make up for, uh, what, what I think is definitely the slightly inferior gas tank of the two. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some deceptive experience, maybe not representative in the resume for Rodriguez as far as mm-hmm. uh, maintaining his gas tank and, and kind of learning how to fight. And maybe that's just, again, kind of coming up around, you know, MMA fighters like Jacare Souza and being uh, a, a, a member of that next gym. Of, that, that is really who he reminds me of, too. Yeah. Like, I look at his his stand-up game combined with his wrestling and grappling, and I, it makes me think, what if Jacare Souza had gotten into boxing like six years earlier? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and maybe he got some of that experience rub off because that pace management and composure yeah. really spoke to me and made me a little, again, not a confident pick here. Uh, tipping my hand, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going with Rodriguez by what I think will be decision. And I'm curious to see what the odds makers, if they, as far as if they think this fight's, you know, people are thinking this fight's going to end short or go long. I, I think it's going to go long. And uh, I'll go with Rodriguez, but it's not super confident. Yeah, I think I will. I think I'll take Jung Young Park. Um, he All has right. impressed me, and I, I like the pace. I think that's going to be the difference maker here. Uh, someone like Todorovic, who Rodriguez, again, had a really strong performance against. I, I, I'm I've been really impressed with the the uh, professionalism and craft of his game. But um, Jun Young Park is a better fighter than Dushko Todorovic, certainly on mm-hmm. the feet, but just everywhere. His, his game is yeah. also that of an experienced veteran. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. crafty approach to MMA. And so I think it's going to, he's going to have enough uh, flexibility in his own right to keep that pace up and outwork Rodriguez. Uh, but I'm, I'm expecting a very fun sort of steady simmer. I think we're going to have plenty of moments of, of, of heated action in this fight, but also some good technical adjustments. Both guys, smart fighters and exciting. So I really do. Lo- I, I love this matchup. I think it's going to be it's, it's right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Not just because it's middleweight. OK, never, <laughs> this is the first and last time I'm going to say this. Some middleweight fights are bad. This is not a bad fight. Um, I will be surprised if it's not entertaining and interesting. All right. Odds on that bout. Very, very close. In fact, both guys currently sitting at just this side of minus 100. Gregory Rodriguez minus 109. He opened as a slight underdog at plus 145 and shot down pretty quickly uh, to about where he sits now. Meanwhile, Jun Young Park minus 111. He opened as a pretty decent favorite at minus 170 and uh, has sort of gradually risen up to this point. So minus 109, minus 111, that feels about right to me. This is, a, I think, a very close matchup. 
Yeah, I think the public's feeling the same way. So that, that makes me feel a little better uh, somewhat. Mm-hmm. Either way, neither of us has to feel like we missed something, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Picks. Um, ooh, I just thought of something. Uh, Zane is dead, but given if he for some if by some arcane magic he comes back to life and is back on the show next week, do I get Re-animated. to add do do I get to add all my correct picks here to my ledger? Because I would love to pull ahead of him for just one more week. I, I that would be awesome, man. I mean, if if, if Zane were still alive, I was I was. I, I would have even gotten crazy with it and been like, you know, I, I feel like those should carry over. But also, you know, like if if I'm able to beat you in picks, I feel like Zane should pay the price. And, and I, 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 you know, if, if you were still alive and what I would do, Connor, hypothetically, if he was still yeah. alive, is I would assign him Gaspar no films just so he could, <laughs> you know, because I have a weird pleasure in that. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the few things that I, 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 I I've out, you know, uh, out seen. I'm, I'm just making up words here um, that I've seen. And, and, and Zane has not, which is like does not exist in the universe typically when yeah, it comes yeah, to yeah. movies. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I'm looking for ways. You know, I was looking for ways to get Zane to watch some Gaspar. No, you know, maybe maybe have him do those kind of a bets. I know he's against real betting on this show, you know, but I don't yeah. know. If if somehow he manages to escape the lake of fire where he's surely suffering as we speak, <laughs> he definitely deserves some punishment here. On Earth. I agree with you on that. Reanimated uh, Zane Simon would be fun, by the way. Could you imagine reanimated Zane Simon? Oh, my God. Wait, so you mean just as annoying but unkillable? That doesn't sound fun <laughs> to me at all. That doesn't. At least I've always known that one to the dome, I have a way out of a conversation with Zane. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> let's move on to our next fight. Uh, lightweights, Mason Jones, David Onama. I believe this is a pretty short notice replacement. Um, I think Mason Jones was supposed to take on Alan Patrick, and uh, David Onama stepped in to replace him. This is his UFC debut, eight and zero. And uh, has fought mostly in a promotion I've never heard of called FAC up till now. So, um, man, I was just saying this before we started the show, Dan. Mason Jones is good. Mm-hmm. He is. He's a, he's a, he's a solid prospect. Um, and this is just a testament to how exhausting the UFC schedule is that if I did see it live – I completely his his fight with Mike Davis was completely erased from my memory. And it was a good fight. <laughs> it's a great fight. It's a banger, man. <laughs> Mike Davis is in there slinging power counters. Mason Jones does not go away. He's all over him the entire time. Mike Davis has to like use all the tricks he has gained with uh with tougher experiences against uh more veteran opponents make some serious adjustments and Mason Jones is right in that fight the entire time. He's relentless as he showed in that bout. He's really durable and he's got some really nice hands. I I, I don't think his, uh, his defense is exceptional. He does tend to rely on that chin, but having said that he will adjust the patterns of his combinations. He will work his way in with a jab and, anticipate a shot coming back at him and adjust how he continues his attack um, to account for that. He's a really good sort of, uh, this will be the second time after the main card, Vivi, that I reference Cerrone Alexander Hernandez, but he's a really good sort of recounter into building exchange fighter. 
Um, he will initiate, he will answer, and then he will extend his answer. And uh, a, a guy with, again, less tested than Mike Davis, who had fought Sadiq Yusuf and um, who else? He had another really tough Gilbert fight, Burns. too. Gilbert Burns had had these really tough matchups. Uh, a guy without those experiences very likely would have folded under uh, the kind of pressure Mason Jones was putting on him. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the cage, we've got uh, debuting David Onama has had eight pro fights. None of those wins particularly meaningful. That's not a knock against him, really. Eight fights is a reasonable amount of time uh, to be spending fighting people on your level or below it. Um, I, I like the look of Onama from what I've seen. I, I think he's uh, a pretty sharp boxer. He likes to pressure people with his jab. Um, he is a really quick triggered counterpuncher. Um, I just don't think he's, um, I don't think he's fought somebody who, who like doesn't care about his hands and will pressure through his offense. He seems very comfortable with the idea that he is going to inexorably get his opponents to back up to the cage, to stay on the end of his jab, allow him to build these short, but crisp combination attacks. And, um, I I'm expecting basically this to be kind of a wake up call for him, a promising young fighter, but one who has not yet been tested by uh, a super determined, tough, aggressive guy like Mason Jones. So I'm taking Mason Jones sort of, it's like a, it's like a sort of a leapfrog thing where like Mike Davis got brutally matched and grew from it. I'm thinking Mason Jones got brutally matched against Mike Davis and then Alon Patrick um, and, and grows from that. And I'm expecting or hoping that David Onama, while I'm picking him to take a loss here, will also learn from what Mason Jones does to him because like both of the guys before him, he looks like a promising fighter. Perfectly put. I really, really like that breakdown. Um, I, especially at the end there, I could definitely see that. Uh, that's, that's essentially what I'm picking too, though. I will say um, I'm, I really love this matchup. This is one of those where they, they put it on last minute and you know that Onama was probably out here because he's a part of James Krause's camp. So mm-hmm. he was probably out here with like Jeff Molino or one of the many James Krause fighters on this card. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, jump in last minute. Um, but if you look at it, this guy, you know, is, is active, uh, stays in shape. And this is a much better matchup than what they were going to set up, which was a rematch with Alan Patrick after Alan Patrick was just drubbed and was, you know, blessed to get out of there with an illegal shot with a fight that probably should have been stopped. But, uh, yeah. you know, akin to we just talked about uh, Sarah Alpar and Jessica Rose Clark uh, up, above, up above the card, uh, akin to Chris Taioni's move uh, he did to Sarah Alpar, where, uh, you know, it was already, you know, beaten beyond competition, probably should have been stopped in the second round. She gets dropped and has her nose busted before her wedding day by Rose Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and they stop the fight, see that it was a bad call, and then do the, uh, you know, the Dan Mergliata thing. Uh, and, you know, let me just put them back up to a, a, a absorb more head position. And they, they put Alpar, I was almost, it's it's effed up, but I was almost laughing. And this is an analogy for this fight. Um, when Tayoni did this, he puts Alpar, like he sits her back down. Like, why is <laughs> up like a practical bowling pin and says and puts Jessica Clark like right in the kneeing position and says go from there. I'm like, that reminded me of like I forget that David Ugh. something grappling against Paul Harez and they, they they restarted him back in the leg lock position. Like what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> and 
that's what they tried to do by like for whatever reason rebooking you know mason jones with alan patrick we we have to have the answer to that controversy oh yes anyway, who knows what tangent. might have happened otherwise yeah, side tangent. Anyways, by by happenstance, we end up with a much better fight. Agreed. Um, I like the counterpunch. What I like about Onama is he, he, you're right, he's long. He stays behind his jab. But I like, and you're a huge left hook fan, so feel free to pontificate on this. He seems to keep a really tight left hook, which I love yeah. for a long fighter because usually long guys throw big and miss big. Right, Connor? Yeah, yeah. He's a really tight puncher overall. I mean, he does not waste energy. He's efficient, but he still packs power and speed in those shots. He just seems really confident with these uh, these really clean, quick uh, combinations. Ooh, I'll tell you one thing I did forget to mention, by the way. Mm-hmm. This is part this is sort of on the experience track uh, for Mason Jones. I've also seen David Onama absorb a lot of low kicks, mostly from inferior fighters who get countered for them. Mason Jones does love a low kick and a calf kick. Uh, he and Mike Davis traded lots of them in their fight. So I think that's another thing that the uh, slightly more experienced fighter has in his favor. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, and another reason, I guess, why I will end up picking Jones. And obviously, you know, you're, I'm sure you're a fan of his left hooks too, to the, to the body in particular, as he was trying mm-hmm. to chop down, uh, chop down uh, Mike Davis as best he could. A great, a great side narrative of, of many in that fights. But, um, I just think that's going to be the takedown thing too. He's one of those Welsh fighters who I don't have mm-hmm. the credentials, but it's some amalgamation that all the Brett Johns and Jack Shores have, where they're all Japanese jujitsu and judo black belts, but they can wrestle. It's yeah, like Jones, really weird combination. <laughs> I think Jones is a judo black belt. Does he train with Brett Johns, or is he just happen to be also from Wales? Um, I'm not sure if he's from that same camp. Uh, I will, I'll click on his camp now. I'll recognize it if I see it. I think maybe not. I don't know. Pedro Bessa, BJJ is what he's getting listed as. Yeah. But yeah, it's like when he's when they're on the ground, they're like more modern Brazilian jiu-jitsu games. And then they have more almost modern like American wrestling games. But their credentials, mm-hmm. of course, are in like Japanese um, different arts. Anyways, neither here nor there. The fact is, T, you brought this up as far as Onama being used to getting the fights that he wants. Like no one ever shoots or really pressures him. Mm-hmm. And the one person of all the fights I went to watch everything I could on the guy and I only really found one guy trying to shoot to take him down and he gets it rather easily Mm. and Onama I I get this response and I don't hate it but he's laughing about it like he knows he effed up but I do wonder if just it's one of those things where the offense is there but he just not only is defense slower for everybody for the most part but how many times has this guy even realistically been challenged defensively in a fight you have to show it He's just gotten so little pushback in his career so far, which, again, is not uh, like a huge indictment. He's only had a few pro fights, but sure, this is the pushback. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Jones by decision here for that. I don't know if he'll get uh, Onama out of there. I, I don't know enough about Onama's durability. Maybe it's wishful thinking. I'm hoping that he's durable because I, I sure. like what I see from him a lot. And I hope he uh, learns from a potential lesson here, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, decision sounds okay. I wouldn't be shocked. Jones is a real overwhelming kind of fighter. If Onama has the response to the first, uh, the response that many young prospects do to his first, like, you know, savagely determined high output opponent, he might just, you know, get in put into like a sort of covered up, um, a pounded out kind of position rather than actually round three. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Especially it, short notice round three. Yeah. Exactly. A war of attrition kind of finish. 
Um, we'll see, but he's a promising fighter. I'd love to see him uh, grow from this as I think Mason Jones did from Mike Davis before him and Mike Davis did from Sadiq Yusuf Yusuf and uh, Gilbert Burns before that. Uh, let's take a look at the odds. Let's see. Oh, where are we? Where are we? Oh God. This is where things start to get out of order. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got David Onama considerable underdog. It doesn't look like most of the books even have betting odds for this fight yet. Uh, he is sitting at plus 375 on average, opening at plus 450. Mason Jones, minus 550, opening at minus 700. It's short notice. I, I don't know that it's, you know, it takes a serious mismatch to warrant odds that wide, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's not like Onama isn't dangerous, but. I get it. Jones has the experience. Onama has yet to really be tested at all. Uh, Whereas Jones, even in losses, has passed most of his tests so far with flying colors. At the very least, he has shown to be extremely durable and well-rounded. So the chances of Onama surprising him with a finish are low, and that makes his relative inexperience, I think, um, uh, a worse sort of a worse downside. Yeah, buyers beware for Mason Jones at that price, and I'm again at the risk of making Zane further uh, do a barrel roll at this point in his grave. Yeah, um, I will say if there is any betting advice, I would say look for Onama to have a really surprising round one, and the live betting odds you might even get a plus number who knows on Jones, mm. who is super durable and comes back and fights as we saw. Um, or you sprinkle a little bit on whatever the round three prop is. I'm sure you'll probably average around plus 1,000, even for a juiced favorite like Jones. Again, small, responsible. Uh, don't do anything stupid, folks. Nice. Good Good to have uh, advice on this show from somebody who, like, actually bets and wins. That's uh... – <laughs> That's a good tip, though. The live betting, yeah. If uh, if you get if if uh, Onama gets lucky and surprises Jones early, I could definitely see that happening. Not like Mike Davis had any trouble landing combos on him right out of the gate uh, before Jones. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our next bout. Then this one at women's strawweight, Tabitha Ricci is taking on Maria Oliveira. What do you say, Dan? This is the point of the card where my predictions are going to be a lot faster, thankfully, for your listening ears, folks. Um, <laughs> this is, this is uh, you know, again, there's there's been a lot of last-minute scramblings, and, and although I do have some takes on some of these last-minute matchups, as you've heard, this one is, is a little more off the old, uh, the old memory that we were kind of talking about, I believe, off-air, which tends to fail us. Um, of course, uh, I, I've, I've covered uh, both of these ladies, and I've seen them in losses— one was really devalued in the loss, which I guess makes sense. You you did lose the fight. And, I'm, of course, I'm talking about Maria de Oliveira Neto's fight on season two of uh, Brazil Contender Series against Maria Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, not trying to criticize the, a fighter going no moss or a fighter smart enough to know when they're done. I definitely don't want to criticize that in spirit. But, you know, as far as invoking confidence, especially, and, again, not to stereotype um, regional scenes, but – particularly from the Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian, uh, female scene. Um, there's unfortunately not a lot of great competition there. So you have either can crushers or phenoms coming out of these like jungle fight scenes, even more reputable, um, promotions from Brazil. And you still Mm -hmm. don't really know where they're at. And that's kind of the problem. Whereas, and I I believe you guys have spoken about it on this show. Uh, so I'll, I'll use the, uh, the parlance of the show, but you guys weren't about overvaluing people in a loss. Mm-hmm. And 
I feel like, you know, that could also happen here or is happening here. If I don't want to step on the odds, but with the price on Tabitha Ricci, who is, who is the favorite and the side that I'm admittedly um, leaning toward. Um, I know she was a victim of the standing stoppage master, Manon Fierro. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> that was a very short notice fight, obviously. I mean, they almost look like they were two weight classes apart. Oh um, of course, Ricci is a natural straw weight, but she's not even like that big for one. Yeah. Uh, but and Fiero for, is huge. Yes. And I will say, like, again, she didn't show anything that blew me away on the feet. And I know that, you know, her best chances uh, in that Fiero fight uh, stylistically, you know, was supposed to be on the ground. But I will say that even for, like, you know, being, quote, unquote, overwhelmed, um, I feel like her head was kind of in the right place and her composure wasn't terrible um, as far as what she wanted to do and, and, and trying to keep her composure for what kind of she was up against. Mm-hmm. So at the risk of overvaluing from a loss, I'm I'm leaning toward what I've seen from from Ricci here. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of feeling the same. I don't even have a whole lot to add. I mean, I, I think I, Ricci just looks like a more competent fighter. I trust her experience more, even having less of it. Um, uh, Oliveira did not look to have any moments whatsoever in that fight with Marina Rodriguez. And um, yeah, I'm 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 going to take Ricci as well. I just think she just looks like a more confident, competent fighter, and uh, I liked what I saw in her loss to a uh, a good, promising prospect more than I did in Maria Oliveira's loss to the same kind of fighter. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's still kind of hard with her because some of her bouts are like custom rules matches, and right, a lot of the right. times. I don't really hold those too much against them, especially the, the, a lot of times you'll see the losses come up in those custom rules matches. And there's a lot of kookiness that goes on in that. So yeah. again, I don't want to criticize one resume without properly levying it on the other. And that's why I'm not confident ultimately in this, yeah. in this fight from what I've between that and the skills that I have seen. Yeah, me neither. I mean, it's, I, I am essentially just going off of each of their losses to current, uh, current, uh, qualified UFC opponents. Um, yeah. And, and Richie at least had, you know, a little bit. So that's it. That's all I got that's to go it. on really. That, go. that that feels meaningful to me. <laughs> let's take a go. look. Let's take a look at the odds. We've got Tabitha Ricci sitting at minus two thirty, uh, having opened at around minus one eighty. And on the other side, Maria the Oliveira Neta. Uh, opened at about plus 155 and is now floating around plus 190. I don't think there's really enough information to make a uh, on either fighter to make a line wide one way or the other. But uh, as far as I know, Richie's a deserving favorite. That's it. Yeah, that's all I got too. Usually, I at least have the UFC bios uh, sheets to read off of. I think I I, I brought that on the last uh, Vivi I was on, but maybe it's because the UFC kind of telling to their own schedule and care of it. They're like late slash not even sending it out some weeks, so who knows? Yeah, yeah, they they don't care about these fights any more than we do. Nope. Um, let's move on to a marginally more interesting one. This uh, at 185 middleweight, Loriano Staropoli is taking on Jamie. Pickett Staropoli uh, lost his last fight in one of the most miserably frustrating middleweight fights I have ever seen um, against 
probably my least favorite fighter on the roster after Valentina, Roman Dolidze. I can't even 100% say yeah. why. I don't like yes. his face. I don't like his personality in the cage. <laughs> he just seems like a jerk. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something about him that rubs me the wrong way. And going in there and not really like effectively out wrestling, but certainly holding Staropoli in the clinch for about 98% of the fight. I certainly did not endear him to me anymore. It, it's um, as resemblance to Alex Nicholson, isn't it? Yeah, oh, you know, that might be something. <laughs> a shit eating grin. Yeah. He's just got this sneering <laughs> look on his face. Ugh. Um, and his fights aren't fun. So, you know, like if his fights were fun, I might be able to forgive that. <laughs> Totally, totally. But yeah, uh, we're not talking about Roman Delizze. Sure. <laughs> talking about Loriano Starpoli. And um, otherwise, you know, a pretty kind of a goofy, a structureless striker, but a reasonably fun high output one. He will take whatever targets the opponent leaves open for him. Um, he will throw and happily miss, you know, like 100 strikes around. He doesn't care. Uh, he will try to keep that output going as long as you let him. That wrestling weakness is definitely a concern, though. Um, even in a matchup like this, Jamie Pickett has been less successful. Well, at this point, I don't know. Staropoli had a couple big wins and has now lost three in a row. Um, admittedly, two solid fighters. But likewise, you know, Jamie Pickett, uh, Tafan and Chukwi is not an embarrassing loss to take. Um, he lost to Punahele Soriano on the Contender Series. Maybe not as uh, impressive as the kind of guys who have beaten Staropoli, but not a bad loss. And Jordan Wright, again, does not a great look, but if you're going to lose to Jordan Wright, it is going to happen in the first minute of the fight, which is what happened to Jamie Pickett. Um, but it is the wrestling of Jamie Pickett that has me, uh, that's really the only thing that, that sort of leans me away from Loriano Staropoli here. Pickett is like an all rounder kind of fighter. I don't think he really stands out, uh, as a technician or a talent in any particular phase, but he is an MMA native type. He will push everything when he can. He didn't succeed in out wrestling to fun Chukwi, but he knew to go for it. And he tried it a lot. And uh, again, Roman Dolidze did not exactly have to cleanly out wrestle Staropoli to completely neutralize him. And uh, impressive performances like the one Staropoli had over uh, the ghost of Tiago Alves, like they're, they're a lot less harder to put stock in when evaluating his fights when you see him just get easily beaten in the clinch for three rounds without making a single adjustment. I can hate on Delidze for using that strategy, but you better have an answer to it. You know, you better be able to fight hands and get out of a rear waist cinch. If it happens to you 18 times in a single fight, I expect your, uh, you or your coaches to come up with an answer at some point. Um, I'm still going to take star Polly here. I don't think Jimmy Pickett is a very confident fighter. Um, that's really what it comes down to for me. He doesn't keep a pr very high pace. Um, a lot of the takedowns he goes for do feel like they kind of have to be forced out of him. And uh, I just think he's going to give away too much initiative to Staropoli, who, when given space uh, to work, will will just, again, keep a pretty high output of whatever strike happens to come to mind at that moment. So I'm, I'm going to take Staropoli uh, on volume. 
I don't hate that at all or the reasoning. Um, I uh, My pick in my analysis is going to be really similar and the same to what I, I previously loaded, but allow me to just admit something that happened in my own thoughts just now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did mistake. I did. You can. You know, I, I did kind of racistly uh, two ways here because <laughs> I did mistake Jamie Pickett for Justin Sumter, or you could say that I was racist because Jamie Pickett fought Puna Heli Soriano, and I was mistaking Puna for Maki Patolo. Because in my head, I'm like, <laughs> didn't Jamie Pickett get body shotted up in Contender Series? <laughs> um, and so that's like kind of two way, right? That's that's that's. I apologize. Uh, that's good. Normally, that. I'm the racist one, so that's good. I got to remember, I'm filling in for Zane, not Phil, Dan. You're filling in for Zane, not Phil. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please no disparaging comments about the Irish or the Welsh. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. No, but uh, to uh, to give to give credit to the to the late Zane Simon, um, as you gave credit to me and my my picks and bets, which was kind of you. But I got again, for better or worse, uh, I come clean here, and. Um, the reason why I'm an, a you know a, a big admitted listener and and you know uh, the the vivid section here and can catch on to the inside jokes is because when I'm feeling particularly insecure about the picks and bets that I post publicly, which is more often than not, Connor, mm-hmm. you, this this podcast is one of the few I will visit to try to to try to reconcile myself, you know, to console myself and say I'm not crazy, right? If, well, let's see what Connor and Zane think. I respect what they think. Um, and I remember yeah, our record is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, listen, you guys are actually offering technical analysis where if you find anybody that even cares about these fights, it's only because gambling is about the only way you can care. So it's usually de- de- degenerate betting talk that's out there, which is fine, um, to each their own. But I, I have an appreciation for the technical side as well. And I believe this is one of many matchups where like, like Lad and Lad and, and Shesson. I'm sure we each broke broke that down three times and it never happened. Uh-huh. Um, I think this was one of the matches that got rebooked recently, and I'm pretty sure I heard Zane kind of had he nailed it for me, which is confidence. And Pickett, I know they say it in the broadcast that Pickett openly admitted admits himself that he struggles with confidence. So it's not just mm-hmm. me armchairing a fighter from 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 my seat over here. Uh, he admits it himself. But even if he didn't, I feel like I could I could suspect that just by watching his body oh, language, yeah. the way he fights, totally. And against a guy who's durable like Staropoli, I mean, he he has one TKO loss, which is the way Jamie Pickett mainly wins his fights. But that was way back when he was like barely 20 years old, 2013 Staropoli. He's yeah. he's pretty durable. He's got the volume, you know. And I think I feel like you could nitpick, you know, Tim Means, Salikov, more seasoned, more technical. Uh, more experienced, the leads a literally two weight classes above him, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, um, so there's a lot of weirdness there. But uh, I, I think I, I'll take him here on volume as well because if once Jamie Pickett realizes that he can't get the fight that he wants, I, I don't see him having much success after that. Yeah, granted, Pickett is also a big middleweight. That is you true. Know, he's got an 80 inch wingspan, um, 80 inch reach, which is considerable, and he has a. A, a pretty imposing frame. He's got broad shoulders, big, strong back, but he doesn't, I, I completely agree. Like that, that's what it comes down to for me as well. Like a star can just with completely unearned confidence, leap into the same body lock 8 million times against Roman Delidze. That's at least something compared to what I've seen from Jamie Pickett, which is at this level of competition, he kind of waits to see how the opponent is feeling about the fight. And if they are confident, if they come at him purpose driven with a, a game plan that he can just kind of see in their eyes, they know what they're going to do. He he just doesn't really assert himself 
in a fight. And that's, that's a problem, especially when I'm expecting your, um, main advantage to be wrestling. Um, you got to go out there and control this dude and then, you know, uh, curse him and all that. But at least Roman Delidze like went out there and proactively, uh, ruined the fight. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't trust Jamie Pickett to do that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I, I, I don't trust him to even in, even in the smaller cage, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, could, if he does want to, you know, uh, apply that size that could favor him there. But, um, yeah, yeah no, I, I still don't see that being enough of a swing factor. Yep. Okay. The odds on that bout, let's see how they hold up to our feelings. Uh, here we go. Jamie Pickett is definitely a considerable underdog at plus 195. Barely. I mean, it did move and then swung right back up from plus 200. Big dip right back to plus 195. Um, Laureano Staropoli currently sitting at minus 230. Similar picture there. Opened at minus 240. And he's right back around to where he started. Um, I don't know. You know, Staropoli's performances have not exactly inspired confidence um, lately either. Uh, he has shown some serious weaknesses and uh, that sort of lack of structure in his game, that willingness willingness to just kind of accept the fight that his opponent gives him. Um, that's a concern. But at least he has accepted those fights with the, like, block-headed confidence that he can do something about it. Yeah, uh, no, I I agree. All right, let's move on then. Uh, Dan, you take this next one. Lightweight right. bout, comma worthy versus Jai Herbert. Yeah, I. Uh, this one's an interesting one too. I, I, I obviously worthy kind of has trap fight feels with the way his first kind of two fights in the UFC went. Yeah. That could easily imprint that to anybody, you know, kind of having that reserve to pick against them even when it seems like they should. Um, but more specifically, his left hook is his best shot. And, you know, we've seen Jai Herbert, although be it from a southpaw off the counter in Masa Randuba, you know, we've seen him tagged by left hands. Perhaps, you know, he, he's got another one of those chins like Daniel Rodriguez. I think he's worth watching for. Another tall guy for the weight class. Looks like he's cutting down and only getting older now. Uh, not that he's old, but I mean, as far as, you know, once you hit 30 or above and you're still making really drastic weight cuts, I tend to be a little suspicious of you. Right. Uh, you know, especially if you've shown prior uh, durability issues, uh, you know, I'll kind of start drawing my invisible lines and circling that for the the, the potential reasoning worthy. Um, you know, you could have said that for you could say that for him, too, uh, although he's shown that he can still be put out really violently at lightweight. I mean, again, malarkey. Much better than people give credit for. I picked him mm-hmm. against Smith, and though that was just a beautiful, picturesque uh, left hook that would have got the same reaction in most humans on the planet, for what that's worth. Um, mm-hmm. But and, I think and like, Altman is Itar too. You know, like these these guys yeah. are definitely punchers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do feel like Herbert generally does a good job when he's uh, you know of getting that right hand up when he's throwing his left or when he's throwing his left jab or stepping in. Um, with power into the pocket, he, he does tend to do a pretty good job at that. Um, he is a, a willing and competent wrestler, which kind of worries me if he sells out for it or gets hurt. You know, Kama Worthy's shown that he has the guillotine. But outside of that said left hook or guillotine, I feel like Herbert, whether it's in the clinch, on the floor, because he, he does compose himself well. He uses his long limbs well from a jujitsu fashion. And on the feet, 
Um, I think he can. I think he can win this fight, both if it goes to the cards and a round winning aspect, and um, he can still hit those big moments, whether it's a, a pinpoint cross down the pike uh, or so forth, to perhaps finish worthy. Um, so I'm leaning toward Herbert, but this is in no way um, a confident pick for me. Yeah, it's tough to be confident in any fight with Kama Worthy. Like you said, there's the he he has a real trap fight, glass cannon sort of feel. Um, he he can be caught. I mean, granted, like uh, I want to I want to emphasize, um, this is a guy who's been knocked out plenty of times, but not without reason. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Bissett, you know, great counter puncher hits hard yep. and clean Kyle Nelson, first round knockout. That is oh, yeah. the only way Kyle Nelson ever wins. <laughs> yes. Botman Zaitar, huge puncher. Jamie Malarkey, um, has been also a really successful finisher and a relentlessly aggressive, uh, opener. Um, he will just yep. come out the gate with crazy pressure and, and cracking you with one shot after another. So none of these are, uh, like, unreasonable fights to get knocked out in, but we're looking at a guy's chin. He's been knocked out now. What five times in his career? Uh, six, yep. seven, been knocked out seven times. This is a very early career loss to Paul Felder. Yeah, that's right. Early. Um, so that's definitely a thing to be concerned for. And, uh, and on the other side of that analysis, um, comma worthy has, managed to surprise people in, in his UFC fights, but they have themselves been kind of like structureless fighters. Luis, Luis Pena is like a mess. Like he he's huge. Um, he's, he, he's really good at just sucking all the air out of the cage and, uh, putting people into just these intractable, boring fights where his size plays a huge factor. Uh, but Kama Worthy came in like with his usual game. I'm going to kick this guy from range and counter him. And that's just that just works against Luis Pena. Um, I don't think there's anything in retrospect particularly surprising about that uh, in the same way that uh, Kama Worthy's KO losses are kind of aligned with expectations. Yeah. And I think the formless reason I like to use that word is because maybe that could be maybe who he trains with. Um, mm. Again, to steal off of Zane Simon, I know he's described this guy before as like someone who is, is the best guy at the gym or kind yeah. of trains like or, 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 I forget how he described it. But I, every time I go to his Instagram, it's the same thing. He's got his own gym that he owns and it looks like he's the teacher, the head instructor. Yeah. And it's mainly pictures of him teaching classes. I don't know who the training partner is. If any, there's, there's not no real recognizable names. Whereas Jai Herbert, he's grinding over there with uh, Leon Edwards over at team renegade. Yeah. Uh, obviously really well-rounded camp. I think you got Tom breeze running boxing out of there. I don't know if Laurent Mof- Murphy's out of there as well. Um, mm. But a real good Birmingham England camp there. For sure. Yeah. And I think uh, I think that was also the case in Kamaworthy's fight with Devontae Smith, right? Weren't they previous trading partners with yeah. Worthy kind of in the teaching role? So, yeah, I'm going to take uh, Jai Herbert as well. I think he is just a cleaner, more consistent striker and a more well-rounded fighter. Um, Worthy is a is a great, like, crafty journeyman type who will surprise you if you're like an overconfident prospect or you have a game with a lot of gaps. He's dangerous. He will catch you when you expose yourself. But if you're well put together, 
technical and composed. I think there's lots and lots of ways to test that chin of his. Uh, so yeah, I'll take Jai Herbert as well. Odds on that fight. Not everything is out of order on the uh, best fight odds. Right. Sure. That's Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert currently a favorite at minus 183, having opened at minus 105. So widening pretty considerably there. Comma Worthy is now an underdog to the tune of plus 158, having opened actually as a slight favorite at minus 115. They were kind of dead even to begin with. Betters seem to be seeing this one uh, the same way that Dan and I are. All right, let's move on to a flyweight fight. Jeff Molina versus pretty sure UFC debutante Daniel Lacerda. And um, yep. I, I don't know what to make of this fight, Dan, mostly because Daniel Lacerda's record is real hard to gauge. Um, this is maybe sort of lining up with what you were saying about uh, a lot of Brazilian regional fights. He, he has a couple fights in one of my favorite named promotions, Mr. Cage. That's definitely <laughs> my favorite Brazilian wow. regional promotion. That's great. But he's, uh, you know, he's mostly, he fought guys that were sort of on his level um, record wise early in his career has since then fought a lot of guys with less experience or lots of losses. And um, one of the more recent, like uh, semi-experienced prospects, he fought in Eldicio Alves, um, did not go his way. He's got a really messy style on the feet. He tends to do well when he can just knock his opponent out quickly, and otherwise seems to kind of default to hitting takedowns off the cage uh, against fighters who, from what I've seen, frankly, are a little too willing to play guard. Um, I don't think Jeff Molina is that guy. He's a, uh, he can certainly be bullied a bit early. That, that was the case in his fight with, uh, i Lang, but he can work his way back into that kind of fight. He will sort of start slow, but build volume as the fight goes on. He's got a really useful jab, which tends to lead most of his combinations. He seems to have a really sturdy chin. Uh, has yet to be knocked out and certainly took plenty of clean right hands from Aurichi Lang in the early going of that fight. And um, he has a ground game, which is built towards staying safe, getting back to his feet and uh, refacing his opponent in the clinch before escaping. I, I certainly think Lacerda is going to have some moments early, but I trust uh, Jeff Molina who just looks like the more veteran sort of fighter to, uh, to find his way into this one about midway through completely agree um I, I think lacerda looks like he comes from some type of taekwondo karate background with his kicks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um they both fight from southpaw primarily but can um uh will we'll switch it up um i'm re-watching melina's fight here on screen with uh adi quilang because i totally forgot it and i read my I also read my uh, grading the winners as far as jeff molina and i wrote that he's a right-handed southpaw which is usually a pretty accurate read that i have mm. and it shows that here because he's, he's fighting much more orthodox in his more recent uh more recent performance and you can kind of see that read kind of come through um and unlike the other jab. james yes yeah that's solid and Yep. And unlike the other James Krause fighter on the card, uh, who may be susceptible to leg kicks for his wide stance, that won't be the case with uh, Molina. That will obviously be more the case with uh, Lacerda with his wide stance. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like someone from James Krause's camp and Krause is going to pick that up. 
Sure. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of calf kicks all day. And even though uh, Molina looks like he's a deer in headlights, if you're just judging him off his shirt off pic- picture, his attitude <laughs> is is quite opposite of that. He seems yeah. hard to put off even when he's getting hit with hard shots. So I don't think he'll be scared off even with a bad first round. Um, and he'll pick up from there. So I'll take uh, Molina probably by uh, probably by decision. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, very hardy, crafty fighter, uh, durable, and as you said, difficult to put off. I think Molina is just the wiser pick here. Let's see. He currently sits as a slight favorite, minus 154, opened just a little wider than that at minus 170. And his opponent, Daniel Lacerda, opened plus 145. It's moved a bit, but it's right around where it started at about uh, plus, what the hell was it? 134. So um, slight underdog thing going on there. I wouldn't be, you know, upset really if Molina um, was a little better than that. But also you got to be wary. Um, I think of overrating a guy just based on one performance against a similarly inconsistent fighter in Alrichie Lang. So uh, let's move on. Second to last fight of the card here. Um, unfortunately, we got to pick it up because this this to me is one of the more interesting prelims. We have Livia Hanata Souza. Livinia is uh, taking on Randa Marcos. Um, Souza has proven so far in her UFC career that uh, if she can't get into the grappling, she has very little idea what to do. But Randa Marcos has proven pretty recently that uh, if you want to grapple, she'll probably give you a chance. So what do you think of this uh, women's strawweight fight, Dan? You, you nailed it. One one needs to grapple. The other, um, it seems to be their kryptonite on paper. If you look at the common thread of their losses, it's strong grapplers from different bases, granted, but strong grapplers all the same. And the problem being is that Random Marcos kind of gave them that fight, most notably against Dern. But there's plenty of yeah. other examples besides before and after that Dern fight, in fact. And in the effort of keeping it short, because this card is definitely running long, for that reason alone and the fight IQ, I, I got to pick Souza here, who even when she looks bewildered, and befuddled um you know she's she's still trying to apply uh apply her strengths and show her strengths to the judges which i think will count mm-hmm. for enough yeah i'm with you um I, I don't think so's always has the smartest game plan necessarily there are times when she is shut out of the grappling and uh doesn't really push it as hard as i would like but she is a determined fighter um she will take some hard shots and keep trying to press some kind of fight on her opponent and that's where i don't trust Randa marcos she's one of those fighters who cannot help but explore every phase even when as you said against mckenzie dern there's any fight to avoid the ground that's the one but mm-hmm. she knocked mckenzie dern down on a kick if i recall correctly and dove immediately into her guard um I think that's just, just the thing you don't want to do. Uh, Sosa may not be Mackenzie Dern, but she's closer to that level than a lot of the women that Marcos has managed to outgrapple. And uh, that's where she's confident. It's where she's dangerous. And um, you also got to wonder about Randa Marcos's just general confidence, I think. She is now winless in her last four fights. Granted, not at all against bad fighters. Luana Pinheiro, her last loss, uh, which was a DQ, is certainly the worst of those four names. Um, even so, um, you got to wonder, Marcos has always seemed a little bit like a head case. You got to kind of wonder how her decision-making does so far removed from that, like win loss, win loss pattern. She seemed so comfortable in for like eight years. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm taking Souza as well. She's going to get the fight she needs to win, and I expect her to win it. Yep. All right. Curtain Jerker, final fight on the card, or rather the first, if you're going in proper chronology. Jonathan Martinez. This one just added to the card. Martinez was originally supposed to fight. Oh, who was it? Supposed to fight Aaron Phillips. Um, Yep. May have pulled a tougher opponent here as the short notice replacement. Uh, Georgian Zviad Lazishvili. Maybe it's Zviad, if uh, Willie is the correct way to end that name. However it's pronounced, um, I don't think anything about this man's game will surprise you if you're familiar with Caucasian fighters. He's, uh, (laughs) you know, he's just a aggressive bruiser of a of a grappler who will drive you to the fence. He will get in on a suffocating control position where like you feel like you have only one direction to escape, but you know, if you take that escape route, he's going to finish you, you know, he'll get you to that cross wrist ride, um, or he will sort of go half back mount and sort of lock down one of your legs and pound on you until you have no choice, but to follow that path he's laid out for you. At which point he, uh, tends to submit you. Um, Jonathan Martinez has, you know, I, I don't know where his confidence is sitting at, I don't think he's ever really just been cleanly out wrestled before um, that, you know, he seems to be a pretty strong defensive wrestler. That being said, he didn't he have some difficulty with Frankie Sines's wrestling. Um, yes and no. I, I picked him to win that fight, even though I, uh, I think people were questioning the line on that one. I think cause his wrestling did improve and kind of just needed to, uh, you know, survive the positions against a guy who's not a game over submission specialist. Right. Um, and that's going to be the same. That's going to be the same task he's up against here, but uh, I will say I, I completely agree. It's it's a deceptively hard task, and I feel like I'm curious what the line's going to be because uh, there's not one out right now, but I think that Zavaid's going to be a live dog. You're going to see money come in on him. For sure, and and with good reason. Again, I think a, 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 a tougher opponent in all likelihood than Aaron Phillips. Uh, may Absolutely. Have um, that being said, Martinez, you know, keeps a nice steady pace. He's uh, – Uh, while he did get knocked out by Davy Grant, he has historically been super durable and very opportunistically dangerous, particularly with his knees and his kicks. He's a really steady kicker. Again, that could be a problem here against somebody who is going to be so determined to, uh, to bring him down and out grapple him. I, I suppose I'll take him just because he's at least been in camp. Um, I, I haven't had enough time to learn as much as I would like about Zviad Lazis really. But uh, I am going to uh, I'm going to take Jonathan Martinez just on the strength of having been in camp and expecting to fight tonight. It's not a lot, though. Uh, again, I think uh, Lazish really, like you said, should be a really live dog. Me, too. I'm going to pick Jonathan Martinez. He's a southpaw I love, but his weight misses have been kind of problematic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that kind of intangible flag plays at all here with it being a potential trap spot, but I don't have a good feeling about it at all. I'm going to pick Martinez based on the, the gun in my head spot I'm in, but uh, the, 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 the dog here is definitely live, folks. Yeah, and if a line does open up, um, I, I would probably just to, not to pretend I'm the betting expert you are, Dan, but I'd probably say don't bet. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's smart. The smartest move is don't bet. Yeah, Seriously. or if or if Lazish Willie is a big underdog, I mean, maybe take a flyer in that case. But uh, it's a it's a it's a difficult looking fight. Sure. 
All right. And that will do it for uh, this week's MMA Viva section. Um, you know, not a terrible card, all things considered. In context, no. we've been beaten down. We're abused. Uh, we're willing to take whatever scraps are thrown our way. And these scraps have genuinely some meat on them. There's a little gravy clinging to these bones that have been thrown into our dish. So uh, I'll take it. Absolutely, man. I'll, I'll take it, too. Uh, you know, uh, and, um, you know, it it doesn't hurt to be optimistic, I guess, every once in a while. And to be honest, it was just a, it was a blast chatting with you about these fights, Connor. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me again. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Dan, for uh, stepping in for the dearly departed Zane Simon. I keep saying dearly, which is not really true, um, but he's dead anyway. And I was really glad to have you here. Uh, live enough this sort of this sort of stale room Zane and I have been oh, occupying geez. all these years. Um, make sure if you want to hear more of Dan's analysis, and I encourage you strongly to do so. Find him on Twitter at Dan Tom MMA. You can find me on the same social media platform at Boxing Bush B U S C H, and. Uh, I want to tell you just before we wrap up that uh, the MMA Viva section is, as always, brought to you by Combat Wombat, uh, maker of fine art prints and other merchandise um, at at Rini MMA. Chris Rini does fantastic work, and we're very happy to have him supporting the show. And we will be back next week. Do not be surprised, by the way. If the nefarious Zane Simon has used some sort of necromantic power to bring himself back from the dead, okay? I'm saying if it was anyone else, I'd say he's dead, he's gonna stay that way. But you can't trust that guy. Okay? So don't be too shocked if next week he's got that knife to my throat once again and I have to record yet another vivisection with that bastard. But until then, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple TV, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Mookie and Crookie Show, the best of the Come On Now MMA podcast, Crookland's Corner, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change podcast, Show Money, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay per view. You can also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog and of course on bloodyelbow.com.